Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. Well, uh, our our subject is, uh, I think, super important. In fact, so important, we're calling this podcast the new form of literacy that predicts student success, because I do believe, and we're going to talk about this, that there is a, a skill. In fact, it's such an important skill. It needs to be innate in much the same yeah. way actual literacy is innate. Uh, it needs to be an innate form of, of communication that we walk around with. Uh, and if we don't get this right, I think uh, we might be setting our kids up for yeah. failure. Andrew, you and I both believe this was important before the COVID-19 pandemic. It's just front and center now. And absolutely. most school administrators would say, I see what you're saying now. Yes, absolutely. It was marginalized. Oh, yeah, this ought to be maybe sort of kind of... We'll get around to maybe it. Maybe after school program or exactly, something. Exactly, yeah. And now I'm thinking we're not going to get any of those academic subjects unless we master this skill Absolutely. First. Yeah. Oftentimes because we've masked our students' inability to do it by the fact that there's always a teacher or a parent or somebody in the room, these virtual classrooms, it's not always happening. Yeah, so. yeah. So I'll uh, open it up with Please. a case study, a story, if you will, that I think listeners will illustrate the power of this particular um, form of literacy. So way back in 2003, when the United States and the Allied forces were in Iraq, uh, the war was going on. It was our second campaign there in that country. Uh, There were many displaced people Mm. uh, that had moved out of a war-torn city or town and now were in a different place in Iraq. And by this point, uh, by this stage of of the conflict, America and other countries were sending over blankets and food and clothes for these displaced people who happened to be in their same country but not in their same hometown. Yeah. So Lieutenant Colonel Christopher Hughes, who I consider to be a marvelous leader, received these with his, with his soldiers, with his troop, and started thinking where would be the best place to distribute these items that mm-hmm. are very necessary, very needy. But he also knew they were strangers in a foreign land, and they were not, people were just not sure what these Americans were doing over there. Yes. So he made the decision probably the best place to distribute them would be the local mosque. So gathering a, point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is a Muslim area, and the cleric at this mosque would be the leader that could hand it out in a trustworthy way. So he and his troop start marching down the main road in this town with a big bag of something, clothes, food, whatever. In one on one shoulder and, an, and, a, and a rifle on the other. Well, every time you can imagine, every time an Iraqi saw a big something and a rifle, it was not especially during a war good. zone. Oh my yeah. gosh, sure is that a bomb? What is that? So by the time Colonel uh, Lieutenant Colonel Christopher Hughes gets to the oh gosh, maybe two three hundred feet away from the mosque, it's already surrounded by locals, mm. and they are angry. They're shouting and and yelling, and they've got sticks and rocks in their hand. They're ready for a street fight. Yeah. And while Lieutenant Colonel Christopher Hughes and his troops, who were armed, probably could have taken them down, that was not the goal, and that would have not been good news or good PR, etc. Yeah. They're actually there to do quite the opposite. That's right. But how do you say that? Mm-hmm. Because you speak English, and you know it's just a very... He's in a predicament. But thankfully, he had this competency we're about mm-hmm. to talk about. So about 200 feet away, he puts his hand up and halts his soldiers. They all stop marching forward. That's good news. So the people are still yelling, surrounding the mosque, but at least these guys are stopped. These guys and gals, I should mm-hmm. point out. And then he says, I want you to put down your packages and point your gun to the ground. So that makes them more vulnerable, yeah. but it also communicates, we're not here to harm you. Yeah. Then, if that's not enough, he has them take a knee. 
So now they're in a very vulnerable position, human physically. Uh, and then while on the knee, for, rifle at the ground, bag next to them, he says, now I want you to look up at these people and smile. Hmm. And one by one, as the locals saw these soldiers smiling at them, they started to put down the sticks and stones and it gave them enough time for Hughes to call out somebody that spoke the local language and explain they were there to give them things. And he averted the conflict. Conflict averted. Yes. And I just think to myself, oh my gosh, what a brilliant leader. But it wasn't his debate skills, wasn't communication skills, wasn't strategy, wasn't organization skills. In fact, it probably wasn't something he read in an army manual. It, it probably wasn't something he watched on a YouTube video where he learned how to avert. It was is something innate. He had to learn it. Yes. But um, this is the competency we're, we're talking about today. Absolutely. Well, we've heard these competencies talked about when we hear the term social-emotional learning. That's yes. probably a term that's ex- incredibly familiar to everybody listening uh, to this podcast because it's it's gone from being sort of a sideline issue to yeah. being one of the front and center issues for all the reasons that we've talked yeah. about. Uh, social-emotional learning combines the management of oneself and the management of one's relationship. It's also the, the foundation upon which quite literally any thriving civilization is built, which is one of the reasons why when Lieutenant Hughes communicates all the things he communicates with their physical body language, it breaks the language barrier, right? Because the the way that he was communicating or the posture that they were sending um, communicated something beyond words in in so many ways. And what we've seen time and again, and this is why it's becoming so important, is that if we fail at building these social and emotional skill sets, and even an intelligent graduate who might have made straight A's could sabotage their future career, their future marriage, all because they lacked these fundamental social-emotional learning skills. Um, So there's nothing more common, I know you guys know this, there's nothing more common than a really smart young person who does really dumb things, all because they failed to develop social and emotional uh, skills. Their IQ is high, EQ, as we know, emotional intelligence is low. Yeah, Lieutenant Colonel Hughes, in in a phrase, gave us a clinic on social-emotional intelligence. Yes. And uh, it, it, it doesn't require high IQ, Although you always want to be as smart as you can in every situation, but it's this it's this reading of the situation and knowing how to respond that life is going to bring conflict. And especially in this pandemic, it's going to bring anguish, anxiety, inward conflict, outward conflict. So there's just no reason we could pretend to go forward without learning this, this competency. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you want to offer us real quick some working definitions? Absolutely. In Um, fact, the term that we're talking about, the new form of literacy, is we're calling it just this social and emotional literacy. Yes. And I think it's fair to use the term literacy because when you talk about literacy in terms of its, you know, the ability to read and write, it's a skill that you have to learn. It's an innate part of how you progress through the world. You drive every day reading signs, reading situations, and and you you read, you use your literacy without even thinking about it. An emotionally intelligent person does the same thing with people. Uh, They're literate in in their emotions. So this is uh, emotional intelligence, 
Uh, and actually, the, the concept of emotional literacy has been around for a time. But what we're suggesting is that the actual term is actually social uh, and emotional yes. literacy. And it's such, such, such an important skill. There's all kinds of literacy, actually, even beyond what we think of as normal yes. literacy yeah. as well. You know, there's financial literacy. Yep. We've used yep. that term uh, for many years. Digital literacy, yep. which is what uh, lots of older folks are struggling with and younger folks uh, find innate. Uh, all of these things are your ability to communicate naturally without even thinking about it uh, in this form of, of communication. Absolutely. So I um, finished a book earlier this year um, called The EQ Intervention, and it's written by a, a marvelous psychologist, um, Adam Sands. And he says in this that um, there's three levels of intelligence that we all need. And I identified with the first two immediately, but I, was, I had an epiphany with the third one. So he says, um, obviously, you're going to meet students every day that are book smart. You know, that's the kid that just loves. They just do well in, in, in courses. They know how to make good grades. They know how to study. Book smart kids are often going to go on to college and probably be book smart there too. Mm. Then they're street smart. Okay, so my son was book smart. My daughter, Bethany, is street smart. Yeah. Uh, she's just savvy to, I know, I know what's going on behind the scenes here. I, I know what you're thinking. I, I can see your motives, you know, that sort yep. of thing. That's I know the difference between what you said and what you really meant That's right. and some of those things. <laughs> exactly. It's not, not Bethany. Yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but I wanted both of my kids to get this third competency, and it's heart smart. Mm. So Adam Sands talks about this heart smart pl- place where hopefully you have the other two as well, but this is where you really are just good with people. Mm. Yeah. That's and great. It's just critical. That's yeah. awesome. Well, when we talk about emotional uh, intelligence and now social and emotional literacy, a lot of this comes from years ago, a guy who literally yes. wrote the book on this. Yeah. And I wonder if you might just give us quickly the history of, of where these concepts came yeah. from. So they're actually, emotional intelligence is almost 100 years old mm. as, a, as a term. But the one who put the term on the map for all of us, the, uh, all of us average normal people yes. that weren't brilliant, uh, is Daniel Goleman, who mm-hmm. in 1995 wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. And then he wrote a book called Primal um, Leadership. So Primal Leadership is just an extension of this is how you use this to influence other people. But he's a renowned psychologist, um, in fact, was one of the founders of Castle. Yes. Okay. So uh, schools know Castle as a as a clearinghouse of social emotional learning uh, programs and competencies and even um, certification. Yes. So um, he he uh, he kind of defines emotional intelligence as knowing one's internal states, preferences, resources, and intuitions. And uh, Steve Moore, I think, added to his definition. I thought it was really good. Steve's our president at Growing Leaders. He said self awareness means being honest with yourself about yourself and honest about yourself with others. Let me mm. say that again. So self-awareness means being honest with yourself about yourself, so you're not lying to yourself about who you really are, and then honest about yourself with others. So that's mm. that vulnerability and transparency with others. This is where social-emotional learning begins. And it requires students uh, to grow in a handful of areas. I'm going to give these really quickly, but Andrew, I think it would be uh, behoove our listeners to know these main areas under under the umbrella of, of SEL. Yes. So number one, identifying emotions. So mm. your students become aware of what they're feeling and why. Yes. You know, why am I feeling fearful? Why am I feeling jealous? Um, so often students struggle to recognize why they feel what they do. 
uh, and those, that leads to struggles. So we start the conversation with the image of baggage fees. We did that um, in our last podcast. That was a huge deal that just lets us know, okay, maybe I've got some stuff inside that makes me feel insecure right now Absolutely. You know, in this situation, okay? Uh, number two is accurate self-perception. So once you identify emotions, now I'm perceiving myself honestly and accurately. Yes. Um, I'm not looking at and seeing a star in the mirror when I'm not a star yep. in certain category. Yep. Um, so thanks to social media, let's be honest, Yes. Uh, students can struggle with an accurate perception of themselves. It's measured by their likes and their shares, not who they really, really are. Uh, and that photograph has been filtered and you know doctored yes. up and so forth. So um, yeah, it's just it's just happening all the time. So we're all aware this is a poor way to judge your character. Social media is just it's just not good. So um, we have a habit called Funhouse Mirror that you know just like there's a there's a Funhouse Mirror in a in a Funhouse mm-hmm. logically yes, and it's a concave or convex mirror that kind of is warped and it projects a distorted version of your reflection. Uh, we do this with ourselves all the time. We're yes, not we accurate. do. Yeah. The third um, competency is recognizing one's strengths. So this is something every teacher and parent would say, yes, I want my child to know their strengths. I think they're struggling because they don't know uh, their strengths. Um, I would say, quite frankly, often poor self-esteem stems from a student's blind spots to the gifts and strengths that lie inside of them. Uh, and I believe everyone possesses gifts that can be game changers for their identity and future careers. Just like that uh, special gift we get at Christmas, we all remember that special Christmas back in oh, yeah. 2005, I got that gift, you know, it's a special gift, even though you may have gotten seven others, there's a special gift inside of everyone, and I think it's part of our job as caring adults to help those students figure out what that, what that is. Uh, number four is self-confidence, so believe it or not, everybody, even though I know you know an overconfident teenager right now, yes. self-confidence is a needed plus. Uh, you and I were talking recently about Babe Ruth and how not just his hitting skills and his good eyesight, he was just a very confident man when it came to stepping up to the plate. Absolutely. He'd point to the right field fence and say, there it goes, yep. even before he hit the ball. Yep. Now, that's confidence. He wasn't yes. a prophet. He was just a confident man. Yes. So we need to build this you know, accurately in, in these students. Uh, they possess a standard they can live by and now focus on adding value to others, not just trying to prove themselves. They're confident enough they don't need to prove themselves. In fact, I love the phrase that I've tried to live by myself. I need to have nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. Mm. I'm going to be myself and my best form when I, I'm not projecting that on others. And then the last one, number five of these five. So just real quick, identifying emotions, accurate self-perception, recognizing strengths, self-confidence. Number five is self-efficacy. Mm. So ultimately, students gain the ability to genuinely become themselves instead of merely imitating others and succumbing to peer pressure. Is peer pressure not the biggest hurdle yes. to jump in middle school or high school? Anywhere in secondary school, where your, your, your prefrontal cortex is still developing and you're not rational yep. yet, it's just an emotional time. So self-efficacy is I'm confident in who I am. I, I'm okay with who I am. Yes. With my warts and wrinkles, my weaknesses and strengths, I'm okay with him. And I remember teachers that helped me with this, even in K-12 uh, education. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Well, those obviously are hugely important principles we have to build. But what's so fascinating about this is, on top of it being a good idea because of the challenges we're experiencing with uh, today's 
students and their lack of development of this, yeah. there's actually a lot of evidence uh, yeah. about the return on investment we get when we Im- when we uh, invest in developing yes. these skills in students. Yeah. So if you're a teacher, you're probably thinking, I'm not graded on this. I'm graded on that. Exactly. My report card isn't yep. this. But listen, it just might be because SEO is tied to so many academic achievements as well as just culture improvements. So a 2015 study called The Economic Value of Social-Emotional Learning, um, a a startling finding was revealed. And and I'm going to quote now, Andrew. SEL interventions can easily pass a benefit-cost test. In fact, the weighted average benefit-cost ratio across all six interventions with prior evidence of effectiveness indicates that identified benefits outweigh the cost by a factor of 11 to 1. Mm. Um, It's just huge. And when you teach it, oh my gosh, it just it just affects almost every other uh, uh, report card that we have absolutely uh, in school on the school campus. Itself. Absolutely, there's a lot of schools that we talk to uh, who would say, "Boy, it costs a lot for us to get a program and implement it yeah. and train our teachers and get it all ready." But the, all of the reporting is basically saying, for every dollar you invest, you can expect eleven dollars yeah. in return yeah. from your students and having um, a greater investment in the community, not taking away dollars by being involved in programs and other things that that draw uh, money from the economy. So, if you're thinking about the economic impact of yeah. your community, SEL may be one of the best things that you invest in. Well, not only that, but real quick, career readiness, which we all say we care about. These kids are going to be ready to do something in their careers. Listen to this. The Emotional Intelligence Appraisal by TalentSmart, uh, which, by the way, has been taken by over a half a million respondents, more than any other assessment on emotional intelligence. Here's what they found. They found that over 90% of high performers at work also had high EQ. Huh. So what I often say, Andrew, to students when I'm talking to them about the subject is, and this is anecdotal, but I just it just paints a picture for them when they're just pushing for reading, writing, arithmetic. I say success in school is approximately 75% IQ, uh-huh. 25% EQ. Yep. You get on your career, it's just the opposite. <laughs> 25%. Uh, IQ to 75% EQ. You can be a good team member. You can communicate well. You can influence a team in a positive way. All those things are EQ. Yes, and obviously intelligence is important. The problem yes. is uh, only focusing on intelligence keep sets you to be disproportionately yes. prepared, or in that case, underprepared yeah. uh, for what life is really going to require of you. So share with us a case study. I mean, these are great numbers. I'm sure listeners are going, yeah, that makes sense. But tell us a story. Give us a case study. Yeah. So this is a story we came across uh, even just a couple of months ago about a brilliant brilliant student, and you'll see what I mean in just a minute, who showed the signs of intelligence, but whose parents decided, we're not going to let the only thing this young leader be defined by is is his intelligence. We want him also to be defined by his emotional intelligence. So this is a student actually who grew up in Belgium, graduated with an engineering degree from Inhoven University of Technology at the age of nine years old. Get that. College student graduating with a degree at the age of nine. So this is obviously a child prodigy because yeah. I, I don't know a lot of nine-year-olds who are doing that these days. What, me? Yeah. At nine years old, I'm trading my Cheetos for some Fritos in the lunchroom. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's my... Uh... A totally different challenge. You weren't quite doing engineering problems. <laughs> right. But this child prodigy is a, a, a young man by the name of Laurent Simmons. 
and he earned his electrical engineering degree in December of 2019, so just recently. When uh, when he talked about his plans for the future, he intends to embark on a PhD program <laughs> in electrical engineering, uh, which he will probably finish before some of his yeah. uh, peers his age even go to college, yeah. which is just remarkable yeah. to even think about. It is. Uh, the faculty and staff who teach this young man called him simply extraordinary, yeah. which, of course... What's so yeah. cool about this, though, is this, this is a kid with obviously high IQ. His parents decided that was not going to be the only thing yeah. that he was defined by. This. They valued emotional intelligence. So get this, they worked to make space for Lauren to do ordinary things that a nine-year-old boy would do, playing with his dog, enjoying his smartphone, which a lot of them do, traveling, meeting new people, especially people his age. Yeah. Uh, while the staff and faculty described him as a deeply um, sympathetic student, I think that the reason he's a deeply sympathetic student and not just an intelligent student is because of what his parents did. His yeah. parents wanted him to develop holistically, not just cognitively. Yeah. Uh, in fact, they said, we need to find a balance between him being a child and him using his talents. Mm, and I thought, what good. a fantastic yeah. uh, perspective that he has. Well, I love the fact that this was IQ and, not or, yes. IQ. And that's what we're nudging listeners toward. Yeah, I mean, IQ's not bad. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's not a bad thing. In fact, I wish mine was a bit higher. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I completely agree. So it's both and, not either or. And that's what that was Lawrence's story. And I just believe that what the world needs now, outside of love, sweet love, yeah. is, is for us to... Um, is for us to add this EQ piece. When I look at some of the chaos and the turmoil, uh, kids look at adults today and go, you guys can't even get along. Yeah. Let's be honest. And uh, folks, I'm not being silly here. I'm being hard, hard. We have got to model better EQ for our children. If they have any hope of growing up and standing on our shoulders and being the leaders they need to be once they're done with school, we've got to model this EQ thing. In fact, I would say, don't worry about how smart you are worry about how heart smart you are mm. uh, along the way. I so, love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, oftentimes we get confused, I think, if you're an educator in a classroom or a parent or whatever, about how to do this really well. But I think oftentimes we overcomplicate it, don't we? Yeah, we do. And one of my favorite stories that you've told me is a story about your fourth grade teacher. Yeah. And how she didn't overcomplicate it. Instead, she just decided it was going to be a different style of leadership, yeah. and you you benefited from it. So I wonder if you might tell that story. I there's a part of me that wants to find Mrs. Mayo. I think she must be in her 80s now. Mm. She was a young teacher when I had her in fourth grade, and of course I had a crush on her. But that was whole. whole That's a, just point. a normal That's, fourth yeah, grade yeah. thing. Yeah. But uh, Mrs. Mayo was pretty regimented. So she taught. You know, in the fourth grade, you're not changing teachers. You have one teacher for mm -hmm. all your subjects still. I think for me it was sixth grade when I started getting different teachers. Mm -hmm. So Miss, I had her all day long, and I'm so glad I had her all day long because she was a loving drill sergeant. But she taught us SEL before it was in vogue, Yeah, social-emotional learning. For instance, she taught us manners. She said, before we begin this class, we talk about math or spelling or whatever, you're gonna, we're going to interact with each other respectfully. She wouldn't let us say, huh? You know, we, we didn't hear her. <laughs> and she was from North Carolina, so she goes, we all learned to say, huh? I had to overcome that myself. And then she taught us, you need to say, please. You know, and yeah. I don't know if you ever heard that growing up in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Oh, please, of course. Please. Yes. Uh, so we learned manners. I remember she caught me one time uh, on, the uh, on, play on the playground at recess. I had bunched up with some other guys, and we did, we kind of bullied, not kind of, we bullied somebody. And boy, she, she got me alone. 
so I, she wouldn't embarrass me in front of anybody else, but she said, you are better than this. That was her speech to me at nine years old, and I wanted to salute her. Yes, ma'am. But, ma'am. I, but I look back on Mrs. Mayo and what she modeled for me and taught me, and I thought, probably more than any academic subject I discussed this year, I was more ready for life because of the stuff she taught in between the academic subjects, Yes, which was just how to live well, and that's social and emotional learning. I am thankful to this day. Absolutely. Well, if we want to guarantee the success of our students, the best way to do it is is to not only focus on teaching them to read and write, but teaching them this new form of literacy that we call social and emotional literacy. They've got to learn to speak this language. And it happens in the small ways. It also happens in some programmatic ways. In fact, uh, we have a program that can teach this. We call it Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. Habitudes are simply images that form leadership habits and attitudes. And there are schools all across the country who are using uh, these images and the stories and the metaphors that come along with them. They show movie clips and have great discussions, but they do all of this with an eye towards developing these social and emotional literacy skills in their kids. And obviously, we just believe this is so important. It's not the only SEL program out there, but we want to humbly submit it to you as one of the best, so we really believe that. If you're interested in learning more about it or even checking it out for free, go to Growing leaders.com, click on Habitudes, and you'll see more about Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning uh, there. That's growingleaders.com. Click on Habitudes. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, it gets the word out about what we're doing here. Five stars is the preferable rating, but please be honest there. If you want to connect with us online, we love connecting with you on social media. We are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. Uh, if you if this podcast was helpful for you, please share it with a friend, uh, pass it along. This is exactly how um, we can kind of get the word out about what we're talking about here. It's so important. And then lastly, if you've got ideas for this podcast, stuff you want us to talk about, uh, maybe people you want us to interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Tim, thank you so much for lit- uh, sharing with us. Talk to us all about social emotional literacy. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next time.